Hey, we are live. Hey, hey folks. How you doing? Sorry I'm late, as always. 10 or so late, 15 minutes late. We'll call it 15 late, very sorry. Um, how are you doing? Happy weekend, happy Saturday. Um, thanks for hanging on. And thanks so much for joining us again. Um, joining me again. It's good to say hey, 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 hey. I'll hang on one second. Let a few uh, people pop in. It's going well, uh, Regan Hill 24. Thank you very much. Um, it's going well. How are you doing? How's your weekend going? Um, I'm good. Thank you. Um, I have some stuff to read. Obviously, that is the premise. Um, but, yeah. I feel like... I Like, should I even be showing... I think Katie Mack, Dr. Katie Mack, did show this cover on her Twitter. Yeah. But this arrived. Um, this wonderful book. And I might read you an excerpt from it. Um and her fantastic writing. Um, and it, I have to say, it, it, it captures uh, the imagination and it's so informative and it's so rich. Um, but uh, let me think of some stuff um, to send. I'm not sure, do I start with poems? Do I start with the excerpt? I might read something from Khalil Gibran's The Prophet also. Um, hey guys, happy weekend. Have you guys read The Prophet? Anyone out there read The Prophet? You might laugh at me for liking that book. Don't. Um, but it's incredibly... It's just so beautifully written. Um, and... I might read you something... The take on love, the meditation on love in that. Um, here's some poems, anyway, I came across. Um, I have a lot of love poems. Poems about life and stuff. The Spirit is Too Blunt an Instrument. By Anne Stevenson. It's a, a poem about um, about a baby, um, about a newborn. Uh, a friend of mine actually, uh, a friend of mine's sister, or somebody I do know, has good news, and that I believe they, they're expecting a child. So, um, congrats to them. If you know who you are, if you ever see this, the spirit is too blunt an instrument. It's always good news. Anne Stevenson. The spirit is too blunt an instrument to have made this baby. Nothing so unskillful as human passions could have managed the intricate exacting particulars, the tiny blind bones with their manipulating tendons, the knee and the knuckle bones, the resilient fine meshings of ganglia and vertebrae in the chain of the difficult spine. Observe the distinct eyelashes and sharp crescent fingernails the shell-like complexity of the ear with its firm involutions concentric in miniature to the minute ossicles. Imagine the infinitesimal capillaries, the flawless connections of the lungs, the invisible neural filaments through which the completed body always answers to the brain. Then name any passion 
or sentiment possessed of the simplest accuracy. No. No desire or affection could have done with practice what habit has done perfectly, indifferently, through the body's ignorant precision. It is left to the vagaries of the mind to invent love and despair and anxiety and their pain. And Stevens, the spirit is too blunt an instrument. I won't read that one yet. These are too these are too heavy to start the day with my God, but I will read them. Um, I'm gonna read you that excerpt. That poem was called um, The Spirit is Too Blunt. It's too blunt an instrument. This is from Katie Max, The End of Everything, astrophysically speaking. And I'm so delighted and I'm so honoured to have an early copy of this. Um, and this is taken from the Heat Death uh, section. Um, and it is a, a piece called The Slow Fade to Black. Um, now, just, just before this, I believe she's explained how dark energy in the universe uh, is, is one of the forces that, that is causing the universe to expand and for everything to move away from itself, from each other, I should say, and not only move away from its, um, from themselves, the universe to expand and, and uh, put distance between all objects, but that that action is, can, is in accelerating as it were, and dark energy is behind that process. I could be completely wrong in that summary. The slow fade to black. The assertion that dark energy ruins everything is not an overstatement. A universe whose expansion is accelerating is paradoxically one in which the influence exerted by the things in it is shrinking. Distant galaxies being dragged out of the Hubble radius that is what we can see with the Hubble telescope, uh, by cosmic expansion, will become lost to us. Galaxies whose distant past we can see now will slowly fade into darkness, like ancient decaying photographs. In our own cosmic neighbourhood, after the Milky Way and Andromeda merge, our little local group of galaxies will become more and more isolated, surrounded by darkness and the dying primordial light all across the cosmos, invisible to us, other groups and clusters of galaxies will merge to form giant elliptical clumps of stars, burning brightly in the initial violence of the collisions, but fading eventually to embers, whose glow will never reach beyond their pool of expanding, emptying space. Eventually, each new dying supergalaxy will be utterly alone. Nothing will again approach to bring in a fresh a supply of gas to fuel new stars. The stars already shining will burn out, exploding as supernovae, or more often, sloughing off outer layers to become slow burning relics, gradually cooling for billions or trillions of years. Black holes will grow for some time. 
Some will engulf galaxies worth of dead stellar remnants. Some will stall in their growth with no new matter approaching close enough to be consumed. When the stars have all faded to darkness, the ultimate decay sets in. Black holes begin to evaporate. It was originally thought that black holes were eternal, capable of growing by consuming other matter, but incapable of ever losing any mass. It makes sense that something defined by the fact that not even light can escape it would be a one-way bottomless pit. But Stephen Hawking calculated in the 1970s that quantum effects on a black hole's horizon cause it to glow faintly. The glow carries away energy or... Uh, equivalently, excuse me, the glow, I'm just trying to stay out of this, the glow carries away energy, or equivalently, mass, and the black hole shrinks. This process goes slowly at first, and then faster and brighter and hotter, until a final explosion and disappearance at the end. Even the supermassive black holes at the centres of galaxies, with masses millions or billions of times that of the sun, are destined to eventually fade, and disappear. Ordinary matter, the stuff making up stars and planets and gas and dust, suffers a similar, if less, dramatic fate. Most particles of matter are known to be, at some level, unstable. If left alone long enough, they decay into other things, dropping in mass and energy in the process. A neutron, for example, will eventually decay into a proton, an electron and an anti-neutrino. While we've never seen a proton decay experimentally, we have reason to believe that that can happen too if you're willing to wait something like 10 to the power of 33 years. That's a long time. At that point, even hydrogen atoms, which have been persisting as the most numerous atoms in the universe since the Big Bang itself, will finally cease to be. The distant future of a universe governed by dark energy in the form of a cosmological constant is one of darkness, isolation, emptiness and decay. But this slow fade is just the beginning of the ultimate end, the heat death. I might keep going. Yes, the name heat death might sound like a misnomer for a state of the cosmos that is colder and darker than anything else in the history of creation. But in this case, the term heat, quote heat, is a technical physics term, not meaning warmth, but rather disordered motion of particles or energy. And it's not the death of heat, but a death by heat. It's the disorder in particular that kills us, which is why we need to take a moment to talk about entropy. Entropy is perhaps one of the most essential, versatile and tragically obscure topics in all of science. It shows up everywhere, not just in the physics of everything from balloons to black holes, but also computer science, statistics and even economics and neuroscience. Entropy is usually explained in terms of disorder. The more disordered a system, the higher its entropy. A pile of puzzle pieces has higher entropy than a completed puzzle. A scrambled egg has higher entropy than an intact one. In cases where disorder is not an immediately obvious property, you can think of entropy as a measure of how free or unconstrained the elements of the system are. To be concrete, a completed puzzle has a low entropy because there's only one way for all the pieces to, 
to be arranged to make the puzzles whole, whereas a pile of pieces can be in any number of configurations and still successfully constitute a pile. Though it's not so obvious in these examples, higher entropy is also linked to higher temperature. This makes sense if you think of a difference between a block of ice and a cloud of steam. In order to be ice, the water molecules have to be arranged in a crystal structure, whereas the particles in steam are free to move around in three dimensions. But even just cooling the steam a bit reduces its entropy because the particles are moving less. They're more constrained or less disordered. The important thing about entropy in cosmic terms is that over time, it goes up. The second law of thermodynamics states that in any isolated system, the total entropy can only increase, not decrease. In other words, order does not spontaneously appear out of nowhere. And if you leave something alone long enough, it will inevitably decay into disorder. Isn't this great? Anyone who has tried to keep their desk tidy will understand this. The universe's most intuitive and maddening natural law. Whether or not the universe itself counts as an isolated system can be a matter of discussion. But taking it to be one, taking it to be one, leads us to the conclusion that the future of the cosmos is one of inevitably increasing disarray and decay. In fact, the second law is considered to be so inescapable and fundamental, it's been blamed for the passage of time itself. The laws of physics generally have no regard for the direction of time. In most situations, reversing the equations in time make no difference to the physics. The only part of physics that seems to care at all about which direction time is going is entropy. In fact, it's possible that the only reason we can remember the past and not the future is that, quote, things can only get worse, is a truth so universal that it shapes reality as we know it. Isn't that wonderful? The end of everything. Katie Mack. Well, thank you very, very much to Dr. Katie Mack for sending this on. And... Um, Absolutely wonderful um, getting to read your, your wonderful words and pick your brain uh, over 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 the years. There's a wonderful song by uh, Daniel Caesar called Entropy, I think. I think it's called Entropy. And I remember when I heard it, it, it draws on, on that on that um, theory and it draws on, on that kind of, uh, you know, cosmic uh, law. And it's wonderful. It's a wonderful song. And I remember hearing it and... and being comforted that there's another artist out there kind of inspired by the same sort of wonderful, awe-inspiring, terrifying facts of, of the universe. Um, as I was in the song No Plan, which references Dr. Katie Mack. Where am I? What am I doing? All right. Um, yes. Pablo Neruda. Um, I suppose Laddie, being called Laddie, Laddie, your whole album is entropy inspired. I suppose it is, yeah. Um, and the worst is yet to come. I promise you that. Um, 100 Love Sonnets. Pablo Neruda. Uh, 17. This is a stunner. I don't love you as if you were a rose of salt, topaz, or arrow 
of carnations that propagate fire. I love you as one loves certain obscure things, secretly, between the shadow and the soul. I love you as the plant that doesn't bloom, but carries the light of those flowers hidden within itself. And thanks to your love, the tight aroma that arose from the earth lives dimly in my body. I love you without knowing how or when or from where. I love you directly without problems or pride. I love you like this because I don't know any other way to love, except in this form in which I am not, nor are you, so close that your hand upon my chest is mine, so close that your eyes close with my dreams. It's a bit of a, a, bit of a quick segue there to uh, such an intimate poem, but um, there you have it. Um, did I have some stuff on the spirit level I was going to read I won't, I won't read that just yet I'll, st- I'll probably stay on the theme of love I suppose if you'll suffer it will you suffer more love poems um, I know entropy is a bit of a weird thing to leap from a chat about entropy and then straight to love but to be fair if you can't find the link, I suppose there's, you know, there's the link there. You know, you'll you'll find it. It's good. It is a. I I don't think love escapes that that um. That that law. As it were, thermodynamics. Um. I'm going to read you from the prophet. I was given a copy of the prophet years ago by by a good friend and it was of such comfort on the road um it's Khalil Gibran or is it Gibran I'm not sure um and he was New York based I believe at the time when he wrote it in the 60s but it draws on so many different traditions of 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 like of religion and sermon and a lot of kind of that the the book itself is essentially a series of poems um, and they're meditations on different forms, different things to do with life. And I suppose the conceit of the story is that it's it's this prophet is, is speaking to this village before he leaves and everybody's asking him, listen, before you go, everyone's very sad that this man is leaving. Tell us about this. Tell us about that. And, um, it's quite sweet. And there's some such he draws on, you know, a lot of different traditions of, of philosophy and 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 faith and and puts together this stunning collection of, of meditations on love then said Almitra speak to us of love and he raised his head and looked upon the people and there fell a stillness upon them and with a great voice he said when love beckons to you follow him though his ways are hard and steep and when his wings enfold you yield to him though the sword hidden among his pinions may wound you. And when he speaks to you, believe in him, though his voice may shatter your dreams as the north wind lays waste to the garden. For even as love crowns you, so shall he crucify you. Even as he is for your growth, so is he for your pruning. Even as he ascends to your height 
and caresses your tenderest branches that quiver in the sun. So shall he descend to your roots and shake them in their clinging to the earth. Like sheaves of corn, he gathers you unto himself. He threshes you to make you naked. He sifts you to free you from your husks. He grinds you to whiteness. He kneads you until you are pliant. And then he assigns you to his sacred fire that you may become sacred bread for God's sacred feast. All these things shall love do unto you that you may know the secret of your heart. And in that knowledge, become a fragment of life's heart. But if in your fear you would seek only love's peace and only love's pleasure, then it is better for you that you cover your nakedness and pass out of love's threshing floor into the seasonless world where you shall laugh, but not all of your laughter, and weep, but not all of your tears. Love gives naught but itself and takes naught but from itself. Love possesses not, nor would it be possessed. For love is sufficient unto love. When you love, you should not say, God is in my heart, but rather, I am in the heart of God. And think not you can direct the course of love, for love, if it finds you worthy, directs your course. Love has no other desire but to fulfill itself. But if you love and must needs have desires, let these be your desires. To melt and be like a running brook that sings its melody to the night. To know the pain of too much tenderness. To be wounded by your own understanding of love. And to bleed willingly and joyfully. To wake at dawn with a winged heart and give thanks for another day of loving. To rest at the noon hour and meditate love's ecstasy. To return home at eventide with gratitude. And then to sleep with a prayer for the beloved in your heart and a song of praise upon your lips. It's, it's, uh, it's quite wonderful. There are, there are kind of paraphrases of that which are attributed sometimes to John Steinbeck as a letter. I think he was kind of drawing from as a letter to his um, son, I believe, who was away at college. I don't know. Um, it's a really lovely. Give it a read. And there's times I'd read that and I, I mean, I'm not in the, in, the, in the headspace for it. And the cynical part of me um, won't believe a word of it. And there are times where I, f- I find the reading of it devastatingly necessary. Um, I might leave you with a fun one. That's probably too sad. I won't do it to you. I will not do it to you. Um, there were so many other ones that I would have. I was hoping to read you, but I, I'm, I'm going to have to go shortly. So I might um, give you one more, maybe. Yeah. How are you guys doing anyway? How's your um, weekend been going? Oh yeah, I was going to say. I saw, like, I'm off Twitter, as you know, 
But I, like, I only get onto it if I'm on a laptop or on a computer and I have to check something or I have to post something. I've deleted it off my phone. I won't be spending that much time on Twitter. But um, I saw that like you guys were posting poems in, in, um, in lieu of, of there being this thing yesterday. And I was so amazing. And you guys are incredible. Um, I just have there's such a wonderful uh, community of, of fans out there and you are the sweetest in the world I have to say so um, I've been thinking that over the last 24 48 hours I just have some of the sweetest most amazing fans in the world so thank you so so much um, genuinely and that's such an amazing thing to do for each other if nothing else and just for, for poetry if nothing else um, it's just read out something that um, read out something that, that brings you joy you know you can do a bit of that do with a bit of that in the world um, okay and yes I was going to say before I go at 8 o'clock or 8.30 if you're in Ireland um, there is the um, tune in for the, the that television event at 8pm 8.30pm um, which is in support of it's on RT um, members of, of live crew or specifically people who work in the live industry and um, it's in support of them and it's an important time for showing support for, for people who are working in the arts working in, in sectors of, of culture but also especially live arts um, and if we ever hope to have an industry again, like as healthy as we did, we need to kind of show up now. Um, anyway, 8pm. I think, I'm sure you could see it abroad. Um, okay, thank you very, very much. I've kept you and I'm going to start rambling, so I'll stop. Have a wonderful weekend. Um, and I'm going to leave you with this funny one, because I've given you some love poems. Was there another? Anyway, yeah, this is a fun one. He says, this is a fun one, he says, as he wonders if, if this is in fact the poem he was going to. Uh, no, I'm going to read you two more. Yeah. This was the one I was going to read. Sharon Olds. This is a poem by Sharon Olds. It's such a stunner. Um, It's called True Love. Yeah. True Love. In the middle of the night, when we get up after making love, we look at each other in complete friendship. We know so fully what the other has been doing, bound to each other like mountaineers coming down from a mountain, bound with the tie of the delivery room. We wander down the hall to the bathroom. I can hardly walk. I wobble through the granular, shadowless air. I know where you are with my eyes closed. We are bound to each other with such, excuse me, with huge invisible threads. Our sexes muted, exhausted, crushed. The whole body a sex. Surely this is the most blessed time of my life. Our children asleep in their beds. Each fate like a vein of abiding mineral 
not discovered yet. I sit on the toilet in the night. You are somewhere in the room. I open the window and snow has fallen in a steep drift against the pane. I look. A wall of cold crystals, silent and glistening. I quietly call to you and you come and hold my hand and I say, I cannot see beyond it. I cannot see beyond it. True love. By Sharon Ovals. My goodness. Sorry, it paused there for a moment. I was being warned that my phone is dying. Um, Um, now this is a fun one it's from I believe an Irish yeah Rita Ann Rita Ann Higgins and I will leave you with it and it is a fun one just to counter the earnest um, heart wrenching last few poems Um, Rita Ann Higgins the did you come yet of the western world When he says to you, you look so beautiful, you smell so nice, how I've missed you, and did you come yet? It means nothing, and he is smaller than a mouse's fart. Don't listen to him. Go to Anadown Pier with your father's rod. Don't necessarily hold out for the biggest one. Oftentimes the biggest ones are the smallest in the end. Bring them all home, but not together. One by one is the trick. Avoid red herrings and scandal. Maybe you could take two on the shortest day of the year. Time is the cheater here, not you. So don't worry. Many will bite the usual bait. They will talk their slippery way through fine clothes and expensive perfume, fishing up your independence. These are the did-you-come-yets of the Western world, the feather and fin rufflers. Pity for them they have no wisdom. Others will bite at any bait, maggot, suspender, or dead worm. Throw them to the sharks. In time, one will crawl out from under Thailand. Although drowning, he will say, Woman, I am terrified. Why is the house shaking? And you'll know he's the one. Read Anne Higgins. The did you come yes of the Western world? Listen, I'm gonna leave you. Uh, I'm gonna leave you there, and I uh, hope you enjoyed. Thank you so so much. I'm gonna have to um, keep in touch about next week. Um, sometimes I find it tricky. I don't want to let you down. I'm gonna let people down, so I don't know if I can do it next week. Um, but I have to keep in touch about it. I'm gonna have to play it by ear. I'm afraid. Um, but I find I'm kind of up to my proverbials and then I, I I'm not prepared enough but thank you so so much I'll let you know and um, it's such a joy saying hey and, and thanks so much for sending in the hellos and good to see you and thanks again for all the support I I saw some really really it was so lovely seeing you guys sharing poetry amongst yourselves and you're the best Um, enjoy the weekend I love you loads take care Bye-bye.